Today we have a podcast first, a guest who's an avowed wrestling fan. I know, I know, the whole conceit of this show is convincing non-fans that wrestling has more to offer than they imagine, so aren't I essentially dumping on my own podcast concept? Like, less than ten episodes in? Good going, Matt. But never fear, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's staying on brand while thinking outside the box. So yeah, today's guest is a self-described fan, but we're going to be talking about an era that he's unfamiliar with, as well as discussing a little bit of pro wrestling sacrilege. See, there's this legendary wrestler that conventional wisdom states is the greatest to ever lace up a pair of boots, and my guest strongly disagrees with that assessment. He has expressed to me that he believes the competitor in question to be overrated, too highly reliant on formula, and at times even descending into grotesque self-parody. And brace yourselves, because I kind of agree with him. His career lasted probably ten years too long, and by the end he was little more than a series of catchphrases bound together by flab and scar tissue. But I also think that our new friend is missing some crucial context. In his prime, the subject of today's show was an absolute marvel and probably the only person on the face of the earth who could have done what the National Wrestling Alliance required of a champion for as long as he did. He combined legitimately magnetic charisma with nearly superhuman levels of stamina and the ability to play a crowd like a fiddle. For nearly 20 years, there really wasn't anyone on the face of the earth who could do what he could do and at the level and consistency that he did it. Today on I Hate Wrestling, it's Ric Flair to be the man. Okay, so it has officially taken me until, gosh, episode three? to completely shit all over my own concept. So uh, here I am with my first guest, who is a self-professed wrestling fan. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks at home in Radio Land uh, who you are and what your deal is? Sure. My name is Ahmed. My last name is Butt. Like the body part. <laughs> I'm not. You don't have to laugh at that. Uh, I've been a wrestling <laughs> fan since... <laughs> you should, can you not laugh? Since 1990. Don't say Butt. That's what she said. 1994, that made no sense. Uh, my first match, or fate, no, favorite wrestler when I was six was Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Ma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Razor Ramon. So, um, big wrestling fan, I guess, for the last 22 years. And I've never seen, or never gotten the mystique of Ric Flair. Okay, correct. So, uh, I know... I said that this was a wrestling show for people who aren't wrestling fans, but most wrestling fans will agree that Ric Flair, one nature boy Ric Flair, enjoys a reputation among wrestling fans and also among wrestlers as, as being one of the true greats, and you don't get it. I will never get it, and then, by the way, whatever we're watching will never make me get it, but yes, I just don't get it. Okay, so I can tell you a little bit about why I think uh, Ric Flair is one of the great wrestlers of all time. And it has everything to do with the specific job that he's been asked to do, which is to be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Now, to be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion at the time that Ric Flair did it, you needed the ability to wrestle, I think, 
think it's eight times a week, every night and twice on Sunday. Uh, no days off. We're talking about matches all over the U.S., occasionally overseas. We're talking about Ric Flair coming to, jeez, uh, Mudlick, Kentucky. I don't know if that's a real place. I know Hillbilly Jim was built from Mudlick, Kentucky. But Hall Rick, of Famer. Hall of, Hall of Famer, Hillbilly Jim. Uh, but yeah, Ric Flair would go to these podunk towns, and his job as NWA champion was to make the big local hero look like he was worthy of beating Ric Flair. Now, that requires an incredible skill set. And to do it eight days a week, essentially, uh, is also incredible. He had to devise a style that allowed him to work with guys he couldn't trust to be able to hang with the guy who's supposed to be the best wrestler in the world. Mm -hmm. And as uh, as you might be able to guess from his ability to wrestle all these matches... Probably his greatest physical attribute was his endurance. Uh, in his promos, Ric Flair always said, he's a 60-minute man! Woo! Now, <laughs> he's talking about boning down. I'm aware. Right. But he's also talking sort of in a meta sense about uh, the endurance that he brings to a match. His cardio. His cardio. Yeah, Ric Flair is untouchable in cardio. He doesn't, as Dusty Rhodes might say, doesn't look like the athlete of the day. Rest in peace. I think it's his death day. Yeah, three years. Three years without the dream. But, uh, yeah, Ric Flair, his strengths as a wrestler are his adaptability, his versatility, and his endurance. And I have picked a match specifically today that tries to highlight those things. And maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be the one wrestling fan who hates Ric Flair. I mean, we'll see if I really get the Ric Flair thing. I'm a Shawn Michaels fan. I know Shawn Michaels idolizes uh, Mr. Flair um, as well as literally every other wrestler. Uh, I feel, are, we, I, are, we, are we doing the punk thing? No, Real hold punk? on. No, I, I want to say we're going to have to temper ourselves. I was about to take my pants off. Well, no, this is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a wrestling show for non-wrestling fans. Yes. So... This is specifically why I wanted to avoid doing a show with another wrestling fan because I I fear that we might go a little deep. It, yes, that's what she said. Um, but we we got we got to try to keep on track here. We can do the flair. We can do we can do the flair thing, but uh, I, I do want to get into uh, CM Punk a little bit later because hey, UFC is mainstream now. Right, yes. more more people saw CM Punk embarrassingly lose than probably saw him wrestle The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's... that's yeah, I have a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm ashamed. Mostly for him and his <laughs> legacy. I think uh, wrestling fans are a forgiving bunch. They don't tend to care if he can truly fight or not. As long as you come wrestling back. Wrestling fans are a very forgiving bunch. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure they're primed for Hogan. I was about to say, they're okay with the races coming back. As well as uh, Warrior, by the way, who is not a great man by all accounts. No. Um, another another Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame homophobe, the ultimate warrior. Uh, sorry if, uh, if there are any casual fans out there who are worshipping at the altar of the ultimate warrior. Though probably not, because we did spend... Quite a lot of episode two, simply ravishing, ragging on the Ultimate Warrior and his very, very poor cardio. He's not a good wrestler. 
Um, or a good person, if I can, if I dare say. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, again, uh, Hall of Fame homophobe. But yeah, we watched. Uh, we watched. We watched. Uh, can, may I say Hall of Flamer? Hall of Flamer. <laughs> <laughs> we watched. We watched Rick Rude versus the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. from WrestleMania Five. Got it. Um, and the point was to contrast what Rick Rude was bringing to the match as the heel. And how he had done all of the work, um, essentially um, building up all of this ill will for years, up until the point where he gets his physical comeuppance at the hands of the warrior. He'd been doing squash matches mm-hmm. and beating up these average-looking guys. Um, your CM Punks of the world. What's that? Yeah, your CM, CM Punks. Punks, right. Um, looks like, oh, jeez. Uh, Waffle House Cook. Waffle House Cook. Thanks, Nash. Yeah. But yeah, we talked about how the warrior, um, despite the fact that he was bigger and uh, you know more imposing than Rude, was actually not nearly as strong. Yeah. And there's uh, there's a portion of that match where it's only about seven minutes long that match, mm-hmm. and about five minutes in, Warrior tries to slam Rude. He's standing in the far corner, mm-hmm. picks Rude up, and can't hold him. Rude weighing all of what. Uh, you know, real life, real life, real life weight, weight, not, 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 not something. Yeah. He was not, like, he was chiseled. But not, yeah. not, not, not kayfabe weight. Not, yeah. not his, uh, not his carny weight. Warrior lifts him up maybe two, two twenty, mm-hmm. two thirty. Yeah. Not an ounce of fat on him. That's very light, lean muscle on the sure. dude. Warrior picks him up to chest height mm-hmm. and then just like stumbles forward like Titus O'Neil dropping that keg. Sweet Christ. Or, <laughs> or anything Titus does, yes. by the way. Titus O'Neil, a real warrior, warrior, uh, warrior soul. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Um, okay, so on the topic of cardio- cardiovascular conditioning, yeah. that's the story of the match we're about to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I shudder to think how the warrior... I don't, I don't even want to think... No, I do want to think about a Terry Funk versus Warrior match. Uh, it's never happened? I, I don't think it did. I don't think it did. Um, depending on where it happened, it might be amazing. If, it, if this happened in WWE, Terry Funk's getting squashed in 100%. 20 seconds. If this happened on an episode of like WCW Saturday Night, mm-hmm. uh, Terry Funk is just tearing this guy apart. Um, and to is the delight like- of... Uh, of a lot of guys, there are a lot of people on YouTube who like to watch WCW squash matches mm-hmm. because it's all like dad bod guys, mm-hmm. like Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton <laughs> uh-huh. beating uh-huh. up these young muscle guys. Sure. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who get a very specific kind of enjoyment out of that. That's one thing I'll say about even Flair, but WCW in general, NWA, is the they don't give a fuck about the body. No, and we're living in a, an era, uh, at least on mainstream in mainstream wrestling, where it's clear the seventy t. How old is he now? Seventy something year old maniac is still <laughs> obsessed with physiques like a Jinder Mahal, despite the fact that yeah, I think by all accounts the dude was a failure. Can I just say something? I'm a I'm a Pakistani American. Yes, born in the USA, proud of it. Yes. Um, they did this entire push for gender mm-hmm. about a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, appealing to, I guess, that market. Yes. It did not appeal to me. No? And my father, who is way more brown than I am. Uh-huh. Browner? That makes more sense. Browner, sure. Whatever. Brown wants to find me on Instagram. Um, don't. <laughs> my dad was like, who is this, uh, in his words, who is this sister fucker? <laughs> Which I'm not going to say how you say that in my language. But uh, 
He's not a fan of Ginger. And to this day, to this day, uh, I moved out and he will occasionally ask me about Ginger. Like, what's his deal? Why is he so mean? Like, dude, dad, I don't know. No. He is a sister fucker. So. No, no. But but correct me if I'm wrong. Please do. But but isn't isn't the great Kali like beloved on the subcontinent? Okay. All right. My dad knows him. <laughs> I, I don't know if my dad loves the guy. Uh, the great Kali, everybody, is sort of like um, if you could imagine Andre the Giant, but Indian, and also yeah. his English I'm, I'm is worse. <laughs> Yes, I'm the giant. Abdullah the giant, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, not Abdullah the butcher. Uh, is he alive? Uh, he is. He has a sh- uh, restaurant. Yes, uh, my 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 best friend Stephen the Train Graham, whose WWE Network password we're using right now. No and, comment. Right, and who, uh, and who I believe also came up in the last episode, used to work as a troubleshooting guy for credit card reading machines. Same. And he worked overnights, and he got a call from Abdullah the Butcher's restaurant one time. Wow. Okay. Which That's weird. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Great Flair. Great Flair. <laughs> I was. I'm still trying to get a point about the Great Khali across. I don't know what it is. Oh, one of one of my good friends, Samrat, who is who is also of Indian persuasion. Uh, you know that I'm not Indian, right? Which is uh, Great Khali is Indian. Yeah, and I just want to make sure that yes, yeah, so right, you were you were right. you were a Pakistani American, yes. as you said. Uh-huh. Um, when I'm Mustafa Ali. <laughs> Mustafa Ali is incredible. fantastic. Yes, my dad likes him. Yeah, as he should. Everybody should like Mustafa Ali. Of course. Um, but I, my friend Samrat, who used to watch, uh, who used to watch WWE on TV in the '90s, mm-hmm. he was a big Bret Hart guy. And you know there were no uh, there were no Indian wrestlers at sure. the time, so I would kind of update him on wrestling. And there was this sort of period in the mid two thousands where um, where the Great Khali got really big, and also Sanjay Dutt was a thing. Yes, in TNA. What's up? To be fair, Sanjay was really great. Sanjay was great. Too bad he was in the wrong company. TNA. I mean, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. I don't know who AJ is. Yeah, I can't think. I he did a flair I had heard of minute. them. Who, uh, AJ. Oh, yeah, he did. He was Fortune. A, well, right. Yeah, they had Fortune uh, along with Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode, James, James Storm. Storm, Matt Morgan. Yikes. And then they added like 10 other guys, which is such a TNA Kazarian thing. Kazarian. Kazarian and also. I'm pretty sure Abyss was in that group at some point. And so was Nigel. Yeah, Nigel. That was the other one. And Desmond Wolf. Yeah, that's such a TNA thing to have. To have, we're going to talk a little bit about the Four Horsemen, which were which were kind of Ric Flair's group of of Reaganite shithead wrestling heels in the uh, in the NWA. In the 80s. I think that's also why I like Ric Flair is that he was definitely a Reaganite. Yeah, well, he's supposed to be. He Ric Flair is designed to be hated by blue collar people in the South. Sure. So I, <laughs> I mean. Get it. Uh, you know, you love Dusty Rhodes, you hate Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's the polar opposite sure. of Dusty Rhodes. So Ric Flair's group is the Four Horsemen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of legendary legendary wrestling group. And uh, TNA, uh, in the mid-2000s, decided they were going to rehash it because that's what TNA does. You're being very, you're being very uh, gracious when you say mid-2000s. Mid- it was 2010. It was 2010. Good God. Uh, <laughs> that was only eight years ago. Yikes. Okay, so... They decided they were going to rehash Ric Flair's legendary group uh-huh. from the mid-80s. And the problem is that they don't own the rights to the Four Horsemen, so they call it Fortune. And originally they spelled it F-O-U-R. So only TNA would create a group 
called Fortune, F-O-U-R, Chun, based on the legendary group The Four Horsemen and put like eight guys in it. Yes. So, Flair, I don't get it. So, you don't get it. You don't get it. Um, so, but wait, before we talk about Flair, what do you think about, what do you think about Terry Funk? So Terry... Terry Funk is the other player in this match. Yeah. You mean Chainsaw Charlie? Chainsaw Charlie. Um, Terry Funk, I have great respect for him. Now, now, hold on. What's up, bro? I want to say, I want to point out that, uh, Terry Funk is the man's real name. Yes. Nobody should have a name as cool as Terry Funk. Yeah. Um, but also, WWE brought in Terry Funk in the late 90s, mm-hmm. and they didn't call him Terry Funk, even though they could, and they called him Chainsaw Charlie instead, despite the fact that he is legendary pro wrestler Terry Funk. That's like bringing in Hulk Hogan and calling him, like, Dale Muscles. This is the same company. <laughs> Wait okay. a What do you call him? Dale, Dale Muscles. Muscles. <laughs> Maybe that's his, like, poor name. Um... <laughs> This is uh, we're dealing with a company that even to this day they've they've lightened up with the names. Yes, but uh, Eli Cottonwood. But just bring in Terry. They did the same thing with Barry Windham in the same time period, mm-hmm. and they made him the stalker, and they made him wrestle in camo with paint on his face. And Steve Austin decided to shit on it. They had him on commentary. He's like, "You keep calling him the stalker. It's goddamn Barry Windham with paint on his face. Just say how it is." <laughs> so, so what are we feeling about Terry Funk? I assume. Your feelings about Terry Funk are more positive than your feelings about Ric Flair. Yeah, so I have more fondness for Terry Funk. I'm not really sure why. Um, I watched him in WWF. I've seen some of his UCW stuff. I think as I think part of this is uh, this is to Flair's credit, by the way, uh, and I'll say that the other time let me say that is that is that um, is the gimmicks are totally different. Yes. And so Flair's gimmick is that he is full of himself. And so part of me, it worked. Because I do think he truly feels like he is the fucking shit. And I disagree. And You're Terry supposed Funk, to. Yeah. I, I get that. I'm not, yep. you know, I, I fully understand that. Um, I have more of an issue of Ric Flair as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Terry Funk, I think, just a generally nice motherfucker. Like, that's another thing. And Terry Funk just strikes me as, like, the nicest old man who just can't call it quits. Yeah. And... You see these interviews with Terry where, you know, you see interviews in character where he's yelling and screaming yeah. and it's like, you egg-sucking dog! Yes, absolutely. Right, and then you see interviews with him in real life where he's just in his study and he's like, well, this is a picture of me with uh, with Jimmy Carter who came <laughs> down to the show and I signed an autograph for him, and he signed one for me. I mean, again, I saw him in the late 90s, so his matches were it. Right, a know. little bit past. Well, Terry Funk had, like, five different primes. I've, I've been told. The idea... So, when he was inducted to the WWE all day with his, uh, his brother, Dory. Yeah, his, his older brother, Hank Hill. I mean, Dory Funk Jr. Wow. Uh, and I was like, why the fuck is Terry Funk being inducted? He just did bullshit. And then that's it's it's weird how in my mind besides you know fuck that guy I'm not gonna Google him right versus like I don't Google and, him and so you finally Googled Terry Funk and what did you find I found out that he was fantastic and great and pioneer and had like you said multiple peaks in different incarnations which I appreciate in wrestlers I think that's one thing right especially the last twenty years of wrestling you don't see that's what I love about wrestling and I don't know much about Flair, so I don't know if he's ever really done that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like he's always been, like, consistently the same type of dude. Well. Which I don't 
something up. I mean, he's been, he's been a baby face. He's a baby face here against Terry Funk, okay. um, which is which is amazing. And this is the way the old I'm NWA. La Pacer. <laughs> the uh, the the NWA uh-huh. um, the NWA moved so fast. You know, we're used to WWE taking forever to tell to tell a single story. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, episode one, everybody. Uh, Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Um, but yeah, Ric Flair was wrestling Ricky Steamboat. He had his legendary series with Ricky Steamboat where he's sort of, um, you know, we, I, I said before that Dusty Rhodes was sort of the opposite um, mm-hmm. to Ric Flair, but Ricky Steamboat was too. Um, and, you know, those matches are, are considered to be some of the best that ever happened. And at the end of that series of matches, Ric Flair defeated Ricky Steamboat and, you know, sort of ended the fairy tale run of this, this charming, uh, polite, young family man who uh, hadn't, hadn't really gotten a fair shake in WWE, came back home to NWA, defeated the eternal champion Ric Flair, who had been his rival years earlier in the 70s. You know, he knocked him off. He, he won that, that big title and finally had his moment as world heavyweight champion. And Ric Flair ended that dream, and he was red hot in that moment, having taken this away from Steamboat and his still a heel at that point. Still a heel. And right after that happens, Terry Funk uh, had just come back out of retirement to be a judge for this match. Steamboat won the first match. They had a disputed finish in the second match. Mm -hmm. And so this third match had to have a winner. And so they had a panel of judges, and one of them was former NWA champion Terry Funk mm. in a tuxedo. So he's also on commentary after the match, and uh, he comes back in, and Flair is sort of breathing heavy, and uh, he's got his new belt, and, and Funk says, You know, you're quite a man, Ric Flair, and, you know, watching you out there with Ricky Steamboat having that phenomenal match, it made me want to get back in the ring, so I want to challenge you, Ric Flair, for that NWA championship. And Flair turns him down. And Flair says, no, you've been out in Hollywood, which is true. Wait, what? He'd been out in Hollywood. He was, he was, in, uh, he was in Roadhouse with, with, uh, with Patrick Swayze. Never seen it. He was just sort of there to menace. Uh, he was also in Paradise Alley with Sylvester Stallone. He wasn't uh, a rock. He wasn't uh, John Cena. He wasn't. Uh, He's more of a Bret Hart in terms of acting, right? Yeah, Bret Hart movie and Lonesome then Dove. The, yikes. Yeah, yeah. Even Hogan had a number of movies, you know. So more of a Wade Barrett and Dead Man Down kind of thing. You mean Stu Bennett? Yeah, Stu Bennett. But even he was the star of that. You know, Terry Funk was always just sort of a Some guy in the back. Right. He was yeah. a thug who got beaten up. Right. But he had just come back from that, and he wanted he wanted his title shot. And Flair said no, so because uh, you you're not you're not in fighting shape, like you've been out uh, you've been out in Hollywood. You're not up you're not at my level right now. Sure. And Funk, fucking snaps, goes nuts, pile drives Flair through a table. Hey, let's say let's not say through a table. It was a legitimate table, like a hardwood table. He just pile drove Flair on top of the yes. table, and it looked like death. Got it. So uh, Terry Funk goes nuts. Terry Funk is in uh, Terry Funk. There's two modes for Terry Funk. Yes. There's uh, there's sort of a polite old man Terry Funk, and there's crazy Terry Funk, and he's fully crazy Terry Funk. Got it. And Flair at this point turns face by necessity because people might want to see Flair lose, but they don't necessarily want to see him murdered by a crazy sure. cowboy. Yeah. So at this point, the story becomes. 
Terry Funk is crazy and Ric Flair is going to defend his livelihood from this man who wants to literally cripple him. They don't have these kind of stories on WWE Monday Night Raw. This is why I stopped watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. The NWA moves so fast and these yeah. motivations are so easy to understand. Terry Funk wanted to be champion. Flair said, no, you don't even deserve a title shot. Uh, Funk goes crazy, tries to murder Flair. And Flair, instead of backing down, decides he's going to fight Terry Funk because Terry Funk wants to kill Ric Flair, but Ric Flair has a lifestyle to maintain, right? If Ric Flair isn't wrestling, then he doesn't get the respect that he needs. He doesn't get the money that he needs for that lifestyle. He doesn't get the limousines. He doesn't get the private jets. He doesn't get the women. He doesn't get the champagne. All the stuff that makes Ric Flair Ric Flair is predicated upon wrestling excellence. So if Ric Flair can't be the best, then everything that makes Ric Flair goes away. So in a way, it's two kinds of mental illness butting up against each other. It's Terry Funk's just sort of psychotic violence being pitted against Ric Flair's egomania, right? And it's explosive. Mm -hmm. And we're going to watch it right now. Okay, here we are. Clash of the Champions 9, New York Knockout. This is a little bit outside the territory, the traditional territory of the NWA. But uh, this is the the point in time where WWE is sort of expanding across the country, so the NWA is doing the same to sort of compete with them. Gotcha. That's 89, but you were alive at that point. I was alive at that point. How old were you? I was uh, fuck you that's that's Terry Funk. He's wearing something from the uh, Shinsuke Nakamura collection. <laughs> um, yeah, he's looking real cute. No, I mean, look at Terry Funk here. It looks like he's emerging from a video arcade. In that's hell, definitely true, right? He doesn't have wrestlers in this. Flanked by supposed Texas Rangers, like literal cowboys with guns. Like, that's how crazy Terry Funk is. He needs yes. to be escorted, not even by police officers, a la William Scott Goldberg, right? A la... Time out. You mean Billy Gold? Billy Gold. Yeah. He's being escorted to the ring by cowboys with guns and yes. bandanas. Well, this is wrestling. Wrestling is real, dude. Wrestling is so real. Because... <laughs> yes. Tell me why spoiler, it's real. Spoiler. The finish of this match involves both men being shot with six guns. That happens, dude. I don't know you. <laughs> But I've wrestled in the past, and that happens. By the way, Gary Hart's pants. We'll, we'll go back to it there. Please, do zoom in. His pants are very high. Gary, yes. He looks like a hipster girl in Brooklyn. Gary Just Hart. Uh, Gary Hart, who looks like, maybe like, uh, what would you say, like Ming the Merciless? Yes, he does. Ming the Merciless as a yuppie? Yuppie Ming the Merciless? That's right, that for a second, I thought he was Mad Dog Rashad, but I knew Mad it was. Mad Dog Rashad. No. White Gary, Lord Eye. So yeah, Gary Hart, interestingly enough, I mean, nobody needs a manager less than Terry Funk, but Gary Hart is here. Oh, in my notes, I said he looks like a yuppie Anton LaVey, so there you go. There you go. Hey, it's that guy that I don't get. You don't get, but see here, they're already taking care to, uh, to set him up as a foil to Funk, right? Because Funk came out of the red and orange lights. Here's Flair in the cool blue to set him up as sort of if Flair, Flair's ice where Funk is fire. This is like Breaking Bad levels of uh, choosing the right color. You're yeah. on a I'm, Hank's I, wife. I have not seen Breaking purple. Bad, so sorry. Um, look at this. Oh, he's a baby face. He's, 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 he's a baby face. And just look at, he's shaking hands with kids. He's, 
he's flanked by the the hottest moms that uh-huh. I guess rural New York. Uh-huh. Uh, Mostly, I think this is. I want to say this is Troy, New York, which is such a strange town for That's, the NWA. Run. I see an African American in the audience. He's the one. He's the one. The twenty-one and one. The one Billy Gunn. Yikes. Uh, he's uh in Japan, right? Really? He was for a hot second. Is that a Dalek? What's a Dalek? That's from Doctor Who. Sorry. You don't watch Breaking Bad. You watch Doctor Who. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Could you not tell that by the everything about me? You have a mustache. I do have a mustache. Wait, can mustache. you tell the audience what you're wearing as a t-shirt? Oh, it's my Diamond Dallas Page t-shirt. Um, everybody listen to episode six whenever it comes out um, about Diamond Dallas Page and Macho Man Randy Savage. Did we ever figure out if Macho Man did that thing with Stephanie? Uh, he did not. Yeah, did not happen. Did not know you could do in person. Never happened. Up in ten. I quit. So that's the thing. This is an I quit match. Okay, you better the headline. Yeah, this is an I quit match. Don't worry, it's in the intro, which I'm gonna record later. Gotcha. Uh, it's an I quit match. So I, I did sort of mention before that this is about these two personality types coming together, mm-hmm. and one of them is gonna break. And it's literally about which one will break. Is it Funk in his sort of uh, <coughs> his sort of like thoughtless violence, or is it Flair in his need to be the best? Which one of these things is going to crack? Gotcha. And we're literally going to see one of them crack. That's the selling point of this match. You don't just get to give up. You have to say the words "I quit." You have to admit that the other man is better. Gotcha. So Flair's body is. Was it ever impressive? Because it doesn't seem that impressive here to me. No. Charity's is a bit better. And going over the top. Going over the top, and Funk immediately he's gonna <laughs> attack the guy yes. in the Michael Keaton Batman shirt. I had that shirt as well. And Funk already milking this crowd for all it's worth. I wish wrestlers still did this. Like WWE wrestlers, I should say. Um, Wearing the powder blue. Yeah, the powder blue. Yep, and he's the, you would think Flair's a wrestler. Yeah. Punk's, Punk's a brawler, but Flair is coming right at him here. You said Punk, by the way. Uh, Funk, so sorry. <laughs> the Freudian slip for me. Yep. So, so right out of the gate, there the story goes. of this match, you know, you would think, oof. And those chops, which Flair leaned heavily on in his later years. Yes, I this is This is Flair sort of at his athletic peak, and those things look like they hurt. That's true. I will give him that. Those, and those chops are not, there's no nostalgia factor here. Flair is laying in those things, which makes sense because we established before that this is this is Funk sort of coming back to wrestling. Yeah. So how long had he been off, I guess? Uh, maybe that is all matches for, and uh, for a couple of years, okay, he'd been out. He had, I think, last been seen retiring in Japan for like the fourth or fifth time. So, um, Flair's strategy is always those chops, and they they never really bring this up. But if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. If Flair's bringing to the table his cardiovascular conditioning, it's in his interest. To work your chest and work your lungs. Yes, exactly. Because they always they do usually say the longer the match goes, the longer it favors, the more it favors Flair. So in light of that, the chops make perfect sense, and Funk breaks the eye. So now Funk is in control, 
And now we see. So he's just a wild man. Is he's that a wild. Okay. He's a wild man. Because this is a. Uh, if you remember a couple years ago when Dean Ambrose wrestled Brock Lesnar. Yes. They had a segment with Terry Funk at the back, where I believe he gave Dean his like barbed wire. His chainsaw. It, was it chainsaw? His char- His when, chainsaw Charlie. But he never used it. Because right. He never put a chain on it. What's that good? The match was sucked, by the way. I hate the match. It was terrible. Well, Brock didn't want to work, so. Well. You can make you can make the same argument today, can't you? Yeah. Uh, I see the similarities between Terry Funk and Dean Ambrose. Yeah, you see what Dean Ambrose is going for, and you could see how if the company weren't so PG, how he would be better at it instead of just being like funny hot dog man. Um, As John Moxley, who is fantastic. As As Dean Ambrose in uh, in the Shield, yeah, with William Regal. Look at this already. Whoa. Well, Flair's on his knees, but you can see uh, Funk is trying to slow things down. Yeah, of course. He's trying to slow things down because Funk probably also knows that his uh, his cardio is not the best. The best yeah. So Flair, uh, immediately we saw that he was doing surprisingly well as a brawler. So you would expect him to control the match on the mat and Funk to control it in the brawl. But in fact, Flair was taking it to Funk until Funk was able to capitalize with an eye rake. Because he's a heel. He's the heel. Wrestling psychology. Wrestling psychology. And, uh, of course, there's no disqualifications, no countouts here. So this is really just a brawl and a really just a nasty fight. Can I ask you a question about this uh, almost double turn? Because you would imagine Mr. Funk was a babyface. He was, yeah. He and was then he insane, right? So yeah. how did they, besides the sort of angles they did in terms of promos uh from what you remember from the time how did how did they turn flair because i figured that's a more difficult turn to make as the ultimate heel. right exactly that's a that's a fair point and uh flair they they really leaned on on the sort of like oh you came for my livelihood Got it. Like he tried to end my career. So Flair becomes a man who's fighting for his livelihood and fighting for his life, essentially. Gotcha. Okay. I do th- I do feel like it's counterproductive in a way to have Ric Flair come out with those women. Because mm-hmm. if the if storyline is livelihood, you're coming out. <laughs> he should bring his wife and kids. He should yeah. bring out an infant Charlotte. Or Reed. I'm making too many Reed jokes. I'm sorry. I don't think Reed was even born yet. Maybe. I think Reed is not my age, is he? He was born in 88, so. Yeah. What's he saying here? Uh, he's, uh, I believe Funk is saying, Flair quit, you coward, you egg-sucking dog, say you quit. I want to just make note of the, the, I hate these shots. I like some of the direction in, on the show. That top rope spot, the way it was shot, is pretty cool. It's one thing with WWE now is that it's so formulaic. Like, everything just looks the same all the time. It doesn't look cinematic to me. No, it doesn't. Um, Funk working the neck now. Um, if, you, if you notice, Funk has been working the neck this entire time, and that ties back into the way this match was set up when Flair was pile-driven onto that table. So he hits the neck breaker, every punch is to the head. Oh, but now he's slapping Flair. So. Of course not. 
Uh, but he's he's woken Flair up here, so Flair's got kind of the second win, and again back nice. to the chops again. <laughs> Funk, Funk knows exactly when to just sort of noodle up his body, doesn't he? To just for for maximum effect. It's good selling. It's like uh, Dolph Ziggler or some talent. <laughs> Is that, an, is that an unpopular opinion, by the way? No, that's popular opinion. Yeah. Now. Dolph Ziggler uh, <laughs> ragged on him. Old popcorn head, we called him. In that uh, episode too. Ramen noodle. Ramen noodle. Well, yeah, popcorn head Dolph Ziggler. Uh, He's possible, had multiple eras of his hair. So. Yeah, possible Nazi sympathizer Dolph Ziggler. No, yes. Thank you. Remember that? That was weird. Dolph Ziggler. We're not just going to talk. We're going to not talk about that, I guess. Oh, God. Um, He's on Fox News a lot. <laughs> I love the this I love is, Terry Funk with his phantom. This punches. is like a this is definitely like a proto Dean Ambrose, but like you know. <laughs> oh my God, Gary Hart, what is this goddamn on? Uh, full disclosure, audience, I'm I'm drinking a beer at the moment, and I see that there's Coors Light um, on the turnbuckles. Sure enough, and I do not have a Coors Light. No, I betrayed my country. <laughs> Alright, so now we see now we see Flair demanding that Funk quit. Now, Jim Ross would say there's no quit in Terry Funk. Of course. But you know, that's the point of the match. There's gonna be quit in one Someone of them. Someone gotta guys. quit. What's that? Somebody's gotta quit. Somebody's gotta quit. Exactly right. And now Funk again takes advantage. And the story that we're seeing here is that. Flair has this fire, this sort of undeniable fire, but... Is it blinding him? <laughs> is he blinded by the fire? Yeah. Is that a, re- is that a reference? Is that a song? I don't know. I'm just saying that the idea that he's so angry that oh. he would otherwise be more nonsensical. Well, yeah, again, another another nasty neckbreaker here by Funk. But yeah, you're, that's an excellent point. Ric Flair is, quote-unquote, the dirtiest player in the game. So Ric Flair should be the one taking advantage of holes in somebody's game plan with uh, with eye rakes. Sure. Um, but he's sort of so angry, I think, that he's... Uh, going for the pedigree. Going for the pile driver. Well, which, again, this supposedly nearly ended Flair's career in the setup to this match, and we're going for it again. Okay, I ask a question. Yeah. Is this pre or post uh, plane accident? Didn't Flair like was it? He was in a plane accident. Oh, this is post plane crash. That okay. was in the seventies. Got it. Yeah, I watched that documentary once. Once. The Ric Flair. Yeah, uh, for the figures. Yeah. As you might imagine, I was just angry at the entire documentary. Why are we glorifying this guy? Thanks. Pile driver. Pile driver and. Oh. It's a safe pile driver. Safe. Yeah, Terry Funk didn't hurt nobody. Except his wife and daughter. Wasn't it like uh, estranged from his daughter? Funk? Yeah, down the mat. I'll just shake the snake. Yeah, shake yeah, the snake. Yikes. Again, a pile driver and then a leg drop. And oh. and Flair is really is selling it in a sort of really kind of unsettling, understated yes. way. So you know it's real that way. Yep. And this is the point where you think, why doesn't he go for a cover? And yeah. it's not. There's no pinfalls here. No. And you would, you would see now that... You know, if there were pinfalls in this match, Terry Funk has the match won. Of course. Terry Funk would be the world heavyweight champion. Flair's done. Flair's done. He's taking the he's taking a pile driver, he's taking that leg drop, he's he's out. He was down for three seconds. He had his head smashed on the uh, on the mat a few times there. 
after the uh, right. And now Buck's gonna try for another pile driver and apparently just literally murder. That's fine. Richard Morgan Flair. Is it middle name? Morgan. And yeah, again. Oh, pile driver on the concrete. And again, look at look at Flair. He's selling it. He's not overselling it. Like you said, Dolph Ziggler, right? Yeah. He's just sort of. Is this, is, is this podcast going to turn the fuck Dolph Ziggler? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Starring Amy Schumer? Nice one. Mm. I also can't stand her, but it's a separate uh, discussion. So Flair's got some uh, some garbage shit on his online. Yeah, it's sawdust or something. Sawdust, yes. I love how Funk keeps using the, uh, microphone. the microphone as a weapon. That's, that's, uh, that's what, what your boy CM Punk did in the Royal Rumble all those years ago. Uh, trust me, I can talk about the 2010 Royal Rumble forever. He just eliminated him Triple H. Yeah, Triple H did, yeah. It's, I'm telling you, man, it's a storyline. <laughs> it's been building for eight years. Actually, longer, 2006, as the Survivor Series. Okay, so Funk is back in the ring. Flair's not banging off, which he would do if he was a heel. Right, and Punk or Punk again clubbing the neck. Uh, Punk would not do that. No, Punk would just go three rounds and lose. Yeah. Sorry, Punk. It's at least been six or seven rounds at this point. I guess so. And again, just this sort of relentless Elbow assault. Elbow to the face. Yep. Now, one thing you might think is interesting is that Flair uh, does have a signature, uh, a signature submission hold, and he hasn't been working for. What are you talking about the Anaconda Vice? <laughs> talking about, about the STFU? I'm talking about the figure four leg lock that Flair has not been preparing for, which is sort of his game plan. But that just lets you know, I think, that the match hasn't really ended, or hasn't entered the end game yet. It's like when Okada does a Rainmaker and you do the uh, camera pull out. You watch it either? Yeah. Who's better, Okada or Flair? I hear this argument online. Boom. Okada or Flair. Well, it's kind of apples and oranges, right? They're doing different things. Like I said, what Rick, the specific job that Ric Flair was great at is the one is the one we talked about at the top of the show. Yes. Which is, oh, God. Well, to be fair, Okada did the same thing in terms of giving opponents that may be more limited, uh, like a bad, bad luck Fale and whatnot. So it's, I hear a lot of comparisons. Because of that, actually. Right, and also as, as far as being a 60-minute man. <laughs> Flair, again, just jumps on Funk's back here. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, that third win. And look at that. Look at the look on his face. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Uh, Okada is a 60-minute man, just like Rick Flair. Sure. He's had, he's had those, these matches with Kenny Omega that go for nine hours. Oh, come on. I'm Gary. <laughs> I've seen a lot of elbows. To the, uh, to the head. They don't do that anymore. So I know that Dusty was you know, very well known for his bionic, bionic elbow. elbow. yeah. The short elbow. Was WCW or NWA <laughs> known for their elbows to the head? Not necessarily. It feels like it is because they both do it. I love this spot. On <laughs> the fucking barricade. On the barricade, right. I wish I was here. So imagine how, how bad this place smells. It just smells like... Have you been to a wrestling show? They all just smell pretty bad. Even yeah. So they... Yeah, but I mean, especially, I mean, the, this show is so very rural and smoky yeah. and, and stale beery. Um, but you can see now at this point, um, Funk 
seems to have kind of hit a wall. Yes. Flair has had his third win at this point. The cardio is out the, the window. Card, the cardio is out the window. Flair's had his third win. Funk didn't have more than two, I don't think. And now you see Flair going to his go sort to of work. Go to work. Now you see Flair is starting to pick Funk apart. Also, oh. attacking the neck. Attacking the neck, right. But also, one of his standard moves. So far, we've seen Flair sort of wrestle outside his comfort zone. It seems like at this point, Flair's back inside his comfort zone. Atomic drop, again, back in the standard sort of Ric Flair moveset. Flair is now working Funk at his leisure. He's uh, teasing the figure four. Now he's at... Well, not really. Flair at least feels like we're in the endgame of this match, right? Because now Flair's attacking the leg. So the question is now... Was Flair too angry to work the leg before, or was Flair simply waiting until Funk was too weak to fight him off? What do you think? I think he. Was, I think Flair was smart. I think. I think they. They. They knew enough about psychology. To to make people think, wow, Flair's mad. He's too mad to to wrestle the way he normally does. But I think Flair. Uh, he's a thinking man's wrestler. He's absolutely a thinking man's wrestler. And you see that here, and he's working the leg again, and <laughs> selling. So Mr. Mr. Terry Funk is selling his knee at, at the moment. Yeah. On the floor, writhing in pain. This referee who's not Earl Hebner. That's <laughs> Hebner. Tommy Young. Tommy Young, the uh, sort of uh, Earl Hebner of the NWA. He's no longer living, right? He can't be. Tommy Young? He's still, he's still living. I don't know, I assume everyone's dead. And at this point, Funk apparently tried to flee, and again, that looked like he'd go. Oh. He'd go bad. And again, the, the shin breaker there. Shin breaker. It's like James Ellsworth's move. Yeah. And Funk at this point, not willing to say he quits, but willing to literally quit, run away. The guys are making America great, by the way. America was still great back then. Uh, this yeah, is sure. a this is Reagan. Right? Oh, it's Bush. Yes. Flair. Okay. Perfectly executed vertical suplex. Fantastic suplex. Young, young Ric Flair had, well, he's not really young. He's not he's young, like, He's 40, but he's in this is his prime. Um, prime Ric Flair, all the same as John Cena, right? Late 30s, early 40s is kind of I think he's say, best. I think you want to say AJ Styles at this point. AJ Styles. Cena is like the same age, and he's Yeah, Cena's lost a couple steps. But I think he was at his best when he was U.S. champ. That's true. Yeah, see, Funk, Funk is still... Fighting the figure four. Fighting the figure four. Doesn't want to get locked into it. He's, he's done some minimal scouting. He knows that Ric Flair's got that figure four, and he knows his legs are hurting, so he's able to fight out. Now, Funk's game plan is apparently to try to... Hey, why would ooh, you do that, man? Oh, and, and suplex on the... Suplex on the apron, which the I... The hardest part of the ring. The hardest part of the ring. And, ah! The ring of honor before yeah. ring of honor. Ring of horror, I mean... Oh, and Funk now, he's just punching at the air. You see when he landed on the apron, he, he landed knee first, and then Flair slammed his knee too. Oh, uh, this is shades of Punk and Mike Jackson from UFC 225. <laughs> just like completely... Did Punk, did Punk get put in the figure four? Uh, no, but he may as well have. Man, why, why am I talking so much crap about my, uh, literally my favorite wrestler of all time? <laughs> After Shawn Michaels blocked me. So at this point, at this point, Flair has him. In the figure four, in the figure referee four. Tommy Young. This is Tommy it. Young. 
And <laughs> he knows that he knows if he gets the if he gets the microphone away from him, he can avoid saying that he quits. Because he can't, he can't he can't get it. He can't catch it. He can't. He's he doesn't have the energy. He can't roll over. I will say this: Terry Funk's body is looking real good, though. Way yeah, better than he. He's he's lean. He's lean. Oh. Did you say I quit? He said it. Holy shit! And we have our winner. We have why our is, winner is Nature Boy Ric Flair. Why is Gary Hart in the ring? Gary Hart is in the ring because he's so pissed that he, this was the guy who was going to manage Terry Funk was going to get him to the world title. This is like Heyman, Punk, like Heyman Punk, or or Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant, right? The the manager has made this investment in his champion, sure. the guy who's going to be his champion. And I saw that Cesaro, and he chokes. Yeah. And now this is the stipulation. Not only does the winner, the loser, have to say "I quit," yeah. but he has to shake the winner's hand awesome. and admit that he's the better man. You may as well just give him your balls, bro. And Terry Funk, here's Gary Hart doesn't want him to do it. He's doing the uh, beat Devon and Bubba. Shut yep. Up. Here's Flair offering that hand. Oh, that's cute. And now. Oh, knocking the shit out of uh... Well, Gary kicked the uh, Gary kicked Funk in the knee. Oh, did he? Did yeah, he kicked Funk in the knee. So now here's here's Flair, sort of uh, uh, defending his new friend. And here's the great Muda. Yo, Muda, <laughs> KG, and and the Dragon Master, who was his sort of partner in crime here in the late eighties. Looks like he little rat on the back, but okay. Yep. So now we have Gary Hart and Great Muda and the Dragon Master against Ric Flair and Terry Funk, who's had his knee wrecked. I've never seen, I've not seen the great Muda Young, by the way. No? I've only really seen the bowl. Same with Flair, right? That's true. Oh my god. Kind of tells you everything you need to know about Vince McMahon, other than the fact that I don't think they talked about this, but the fact that he hates it when people sneeze, because it yeah, shows they've lost control of their body. That may be the ultimate Vince McMahon uh, psychological insight. And can I just say, as a, as a therapist, yes. in the state of New Jersey, Yes. Uh, don't follow me on psychology today. But I would love to one day, if possible, meet Mr. McMahon mm-hmm. as a patient. As a patient. Because the, that man has so many contradictions. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Tell me, what do you, what do you think of Ric Flair now that you've seen him sort of in his prime, in his sure. glory? He is, uh, he performs much better than my, my, I've only really seen like five Ric Flair matches. The handful of WCW matches from the late nineties, which are, I don't know if you know, not the best, uh, not really the best Flair matches. No, he was past his prime. Yeah. Also, his body. The one of my turnoffs about Ric Flair is his body. Mm-hmm. His body's been no- nothing uh, in all the matches. He's been better in his matches than the other, but he's saggy. Mm-hmm. Um, Saggy, weirdly leathery. Oh, thank you. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, the the personality of the guy, uh, from what I can tell, very much colored my. Ric Flair lived a gimmick. Um, yeah, which I don't like. Don't live your gimmick unless you're Mick Foley. I don't even want anyone to live the gimmick. To be honest, well, Mick Foley's gimmick is that he's a very sweet man. <laughs> With a beautiful daughter. Yes. Which is weird. But anyway, Red Flair looks great. Better than I expected. Mm-hmm. I, I do think... my I, you know, One of my issues besides the personality of the guy is I do find his promos 
the ones I've seen, to be a bit over the top. Well, here's the interesting thing about Claire Crohn's, is that sort of the great all-time ones are the ones where he's flipping out and turning red and spitting yeah. everywhere. Right. So those are famous, but they're kind of the exception to the rule. So Flair is about projecting this cool exterior, and that's where he wants to be. But when somebody is pressing him, and when somebody is threatening to expose him as not the best in the world, that's when he flips out. And that's when he takes off his shoes, and he goes, These shoes cost more than your house! And that's how he proves his worth. Right. Because he doesn't... He can prove it in the ring, but he doesn't know how to do that. I mean, he does, but he doesn't. He can't reliably do it. Yeah. Flair was the best at being almost as good as he said that he was. Who's was better, like, K-Bib-wise, who was better than him? Steve-O. Steve-O. Sting was probably better than Flair, too. K-Bib. K-Bib, yeah. Not, like, legit, because Sting was not a great wrestler. Yeah. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, too, I think, in K-Bib, because they wrestled a million times, yeah. and Flair won most of them, but it was always shady. He is the epitome of locker room talk. Yeah. And... Again, it's very difficult, and I get his wrestling and all that. It is so difficult for me to be like, oh, you know, he's playing a character. Yeah, we know it's fake, blah, blah, blah. But we also, more so than an actor in a role, take what they say, and we believe it right. in because, a weird way. Because the wrestler has to, uh, has to embody that role, yeah. more, so than, more so than a film or Because they play it does. all the time. Yes. Anytime right. they're in public. Yeah. They don't get to be they don't get to be off. Well yeah, so this is the thing with Blair and there is the living the gimmick. There is uh you take your personality, you turn it up to eleven. Right. And so it's a bit difficult uh, to parse through what exactly what's real, what's not, and it's very difficult to be a human uh and and judge and not judge. Right. And that's the problem, like with the flares. I judge them hard. For for anybody who's who's unclear, if we if we haven't already lost all of the non wrestling fans, uh, we're talking about we're talking about Ric Flair's sort of uh, uh, personal difficulties where he uh, he's a womanizer. He's a womanizer. He did a he did a lot of he did a lot of drinking. He did a lot of partying. He's been divorced eighty seven times. Yes. Um, he's been one less than me. He's been uh, he's been bankrupt. You know, eighty nine times. He's retired and then came back into another another company and right and back. Some people feel embarrassed himself. Right. Um. But he's sort of in the same in the same way that his character became a parody. You know, in his later years, became a parody of the way he was in the match that we saw him now. For a long time, he as a real person became almost a grotesque parody of this yes. high roller kind of uh, character that he had portrayed in the 80s. Like, he never he never learned to turn it off. The, and I think that's really the... the to, a, to, to a lot of destruction to himself. Oh, it caused a lot, of, a lot of pain for his friends and family. Well, he's, he's, not a, he's not a great model for moderation. That, yes, exactly. And so... And I don't think... I don't, I'm not making a value judgment. I'm, I'm just saying that... Uh, any impartial observer would have to agree that Ric Flair, the man, uh, again, to be the man, that's our, that's our episode title. Yeah. Um, Ric Flair, the man, not Ric Flair, the performer, hasn't been a great role model for moderation. He 
just he has he's excess. I think that's what his he's excess. Yeah, he's excess. And I think uh, from everything that I've read, um, after his most recent health scare, he's kind of keeping it together, toning it down a little bit. Yeah, which you know at at sixty something years old, thrice divorced. Is he? Oh, is he only sixty something? Yeah, he feels like he'd be older. He looks like he'd be older. That would be just under seventy. Yeah, sixty nine. Yeah, sixty nine. My brother. <laughs> Perfect age for that guy. Yeah, sixty nine. Well, yeah. Still hoping he makes it seventy. Um, he might. He might. Some guys are. Some guys are very resilient. He's got kind of that Keith Richards vibe to him. So here we are. We're coming to the end of the show. Uh, I think we both learned some things. Would, would you say you're a Ric Flair fan now? No, right. I would say that I. Would you say that you have a healthy appreciation for Ric Flair? Yes, I will not say I'm a fan. So, would you say I was successful? Who's we? Who's I? You? Yes, me as a me as the host in trying to uh, trying to get you to appreciate something you did not previously appreciate. Yes. That's a W. That's a W in the column, folks. You heard it here first. So, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all my guests. If you were a pro wrestler, what would your what would your character be? My character? Yeah, your character. What's your what's your gimmick? I think they have not had enough. I'm a therapist, right? Yes. I train. Yes. Uh, I would be a GM. Yeah. Actually, with a psychologist. Okay. Who is playing everybody? Okay. And then somehow puts puts himself into a. Uh, up from Rachel Feud. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I would work my way up the main event. Uh huh. And uh, my finishing move uh-huh. would just be, how do you feel? And, <laughs> and, and just pass out. It just like, oh fuck, man. So, so how do you how do you feel about that? What's that trauma you have? Yeah. Tell me about your father. And then. Like, <laughs> or your mother, whichever one can hurt you more. Right. And then and then surprise roll up while they're while they're having a breakthrough. Or I'll do also. Uh, this is like the ultimate. This is like a uh, reverse Rana on the top rope, you know? <laughs> I would, uh, it's your death move. This is really like a finish. You're burning hands. I would say, where did the bad man touch you? <laughs> and then they would just pass out. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. Now, are you familiar with, are you familiar with the sketch <laughs> with Macho Man Randy Savage where he's, uh, where he's sort of on the therapist's couch? I feel like I've seen like clips. And they're doing word association? No. I mean like I can imagine what it is. It's like uh, and he's like, uh, well I'm gonna give you a word, uh, I'm gonna give you a word, you'll tell you'll give me a word back, we'll sort of ping pong it. Don't let it knock around inside your head someone goes, Oh yeah, if it's a game we're gonna win it, yeah. It's like macho macho, yeah, macho man, it's me, I'm you. It's me, macho, yeah. And it goes, <laughs> it goes on and on for like five minutes and he's like and Randy Savage getting so excited. And of course, this guy is just like, this guy's completely self obsessed, egomaniac. He's making all these notes. And, he, and Randy Savage is getting all excited. It's, it's kind of cute because he's like, he's like, yeah, we're going to help so many people. Yeah, real insight into the human mind. And he's just going on and on. And then the final, uh, the, uh, the final thing is he says, he says, animal. He goes, what's that supposed to mean? Is that George Animal Steel? You know, he's been after Elizabeth. And he like gets oh up and <laughs> I mean, in the clinical sense. I don't mean like in the Terry Funk sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that... He's a sociopath. He's not a psychopath. 
Well, you're the, you're the I'm the the mild professional here. You're the mild professional. Yes, I am even the coach here. I think you know. I mean, there's a there's a difference between playing hockey and social stuff, but the. Yeah, I mean, the, listen. I watch Criminal Minds. I'm aware there's a difference. I just don't ever remember what it is. <laughs> is a very illustrious storyline where Val Venus was kidnapped by Kai and Tai and maybe the Japanese mafia and they cu- and they, tr- really. they tried to cut off his penis with a katana can you say what they said chop chop your pee pee they said choppy choppy your pee pee yes I was about 11 years old when I came out my mother was not happy now were you ha- did that please you as an 11 year old did you think that was television gold I thought I was watching porn what did it you- felt like porn were you surprised when porn turned out to not involve kidnapping by the Japanese That's, mafia? But here's the thing. That was supposed to be porn. I mean, so I mean, I, right? I mean, it might. I don't know what kind of porn everybody out there watches. I'm not into that shit.